My name's Thomas, one of your pastors here at Parkview, and uh, today we're jumping back into Acts 18. So if you want to get out your Bible or follow along on the screen behind me, that's where we're going to be. Last week, Mark did an excellent job reminding us and really drawing out uh, the affirmation, the protection uh, that God, through Christ, afforded to the Apostle Paul, uh, which led to a long season of ministry in the city of Corinth, there in the ancient world. And uh, for a long time, as we've gone through the book of Acts, uh, the main character uh, often, you know, is, has been Paul, the Apostle Paul, his powerful ministry. Uh, I, I was, I planned to go through every section heading for the last, like, six chapters, and basically it's Paul did this, Paul went there, Paul did this, Paul did this, Paul did this, bad thing happened to Paul. And then there's one that's like, the Philippian jailer converted. Then back to Paul did this, Paul did, which of course he was there too. But um, this week, it really changes. Instead of having Paul as the, the main character uh, for all, everything that's good about him, uh, we have a huge shift away from Paul, away from his leadership and ministry. And that fact alone is worth noting and is very significant for what I believe the Lord wants to teach us today from Acts 18, that we shipped away from Paul, the sort of super-duper, super-apostle guy, uh, to everyday leaders in the church. So let me, let me begin in uh, verse 18, chapter 18, verse 18. It says this, After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centre he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. I'll pause there. Notice anything different from what we normally see with the Apostle Paul? Okay, normally, right, what happens is Paul comes to a city, comes to Corinth, he comes to Lystra, comes to Derby, wherever it is, all these places he's been. Comes to the town, he goes to the Jewish synagogue, synagogue. He goes in there, he reasons, he wants to show them, hey, the whole, your whole Bible, the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament, is pointing forward to this figure. And guess what? Let me connect the dots for you. That's Jesus. And he explains to them how Jesus is the one they've been looking for. He's the promised Messiah and so forth. And he stays there. Some people are convinced. Some people just hate him. And he eventually gets run out of town. That's how Paul usually leaves a city. Here, something very different happens. In verse 20, it says, oh, they asked him to stay for a longer period. He declines. He just says, no, no thanks. Not interested. That's pretty odd. Um, and it's probably, you know... Well, two things. First, if you've ever been at a party and you've thought, I think I'm ready to leave now, and everyone's saying, no, stay and have fun with us, you can bring up Acts 18.20. You can say, look, I can't stay any longer. I'll come back if God wills. It's in the Bible. It's right there. Okay. I'm joking. But in all seriousness, we have to ask, what happened to Ephesus? Paul just seems to have passed him over, right? And so did they just go on to sort of languish in obscurity and never get to hear and grow and have a church grow there? Well, if you're familiar with the Bible a little bit, you know that is not the case at all. Uh, in fact, we may have heard of the book of Ephesians, which is written from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. They're mentioned among the churches in Revelation when, when Christ addresses those churches. Uh, the next two chapters of the book of Acts are basically entirely dedicated to Paul's ministry in Ephesus. So maybe we'd ask ourselves, how did we go from Paul essentially saying, nah, not interested in teaching you more, to this vibrant, growing church that made a huge impact in the ancient world in 
one of the major cities uh, in the whole uh, empire of Rome. What happened? And the answer is, like I said, very much connected to Paul not being there, is that everyday, non-professional Christians took Christ's call to make disciples seriously. And they began to do that wherever God happened to have placed them. We know Priscilla and Aquila had been basically spat out of their home and were looking for a new place to live. And they end up here in Ephesus. And it's their ministry, everyday, non-superhero Christians, helping others take the next step with Christ that turned Ephesus from being passed over by Paul, you know, for plenty of fine reasons, I'm sure, to becoming a powerhouse of disciple-making kingdom impact. How did it happen? That's our question to answer today. And I'm going to give you the answer already, right here, okay? I'm not pulling any punches. And if you like writing things down, this is your moment. And maybe you'll say, Thomas, that's a bit on the nose. And I think I, it is. We need a whole church to form whole disciples. Okay, that's, a, that's our big idea. It takes a whole church to make whole disciples, which many of you know is basically our mission statement here at Parkview. Um, so let's pick back up verse 24. I'll read the rest for you, and then we'll pray. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately concerning uh, the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one uh, who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Spirit came upon them, Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. This is the Lord's word for us today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we praise you, we thank you for this passage. You have given us words from you today to meditate upon, to learn from. We long for you to teach us about yourself through these words, through me. I pray now that you would help each of us to approach your word with uh, sharpness of mind and eagerness to learn. Uh, most of all, Lord, give us the softness of soul, sincere belief that whatever you call us to obey today, you will provide, you'll provide the joy to sustain us in that obedience. And now help me, Lord, May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, first thing I want to draw your attention to is these two examples, right? We sort of have two examples. We have first Apollos and how he goes on to learn something new and these Ephesian disciples, these sort of unnamed Ephesian 
some, a dozen men, but certainly many more uh, that, are, that we are told about, um, as is typical in the way the Bible reports numbers. Anyway, uh, and so first we meet Apollos, Apollos, in verse 25. Um, there's this Jew named Apollos. Uh, he, after Paul skips town, Apollos arrives. Apollos comes in, uh, and Paul's not there anymore, and apparently this brother can preach, okay? He has got a gift. He can preach the lights out. He is incredible. Listen to the way Luke describes him. I'll start in verse 24. He's a Jew, a native of Alexandria. Uh, that was sort of the Harvard of those days, the most educated city. We know of their great library back in the day. Well, well informed. He was eloquent. Uh, he was great at speaking. He was competent in the scriptures, meaning he knew his Bible. He knew how to preach a biblical, a biblical sermon. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. That means he knew about Jesus. He wasn't informed about who he was, uh, uninformed about who he was. He was fervent in spirit, meaning he was passionate and eager, a great speaker, a great communicator, and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. This guy sounds amazing, okay? How do we get him here? Okay, I want to, you know, come on. He can preach to me. Uh, he sounds amazing. And then, snuck right in there at the end, Luke adds this little comment, which kind of throws a wrench in the whole things, doesn't it? But he knew only the baptism of John. That is, John the Baptist, uh, who came, as, as we saw with, with Paul, you know, he, he came to prepare the way for Jesus. He was not the end of the line. He was just the avenue onto uh, Jesus. And so Apollos is presented to us as this incredibly uh, impressive, passionate, well-informed, a teacher, a teacher in the church, right? A teacher in the early church, a devoted disciple who still had more to learn about Jesus. He still had more to learn. Now, it's going to surprise a lot of you that it's actually possible for preachers to have blind spots. That's a joke. <laughs> uh, it does not surprise me at all. Um, and that's why I have, I have next steps to take with Christ too. Um, maybe some of you will take the initiative of Priscilla and Aquila and come tell some of me some of them afterward. Um, but then in chapter 19, we get this second example. So we have Apollos learning Christ, and we, and we get the second example in chapter 19. Paul's on his way back to Ephesus, and he bumps into some, some disciples. And it seems like Luke is using that word a little bit loosely here, because we go on to find, um, Paul says, uh, have you heard about Christ, and have you, heard, have you been baptized in the Spirit? And they give this funny answer. The what now? <laughs> the who? Who are we supposed to have been what? They, they don't even know about the Spirit. And so Paul takes them, and, and we'd have to say, I, they're probably not yet Christians. They're, they get baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. It seems as if they don't even know who Jesus is at this point. They're only familiar with the ministry of John. And so these disciples, as Luke presents them, we have Apollos, who's very well informed, but still has a next step to take. And then we have these other unnamed disciples of Ephesus who seem to maybe not even be Christians yet. Um, they, they, don't know, they aren't aware of kind of the basics of who God is and, and what it means to become a Christian and that kind of thing. And so the first thing we need to learn from these two examples as they're presented to us is the need to make disciples. This passage shows us that we need to make disciples because there is a next step for everyone to take with Jesus, whether it's someone like Apollos, incredibly well-informed, or like the Ephesians who are really just getting started, barely getting started with Christ, every single person in this room, in this city, all over the world has a next step to take with Christ. I don't, I don't know which of these you, you tend to sympathize with more. You, you look at each of those examples, uh, but for every single one of us, there is a next step for us to take with Christ. Now, in, in the U.S., I was just talking with a couple of people who are working on their PhDs, and, 
and um, seems like a lot of people, I know, come here for education, many people do. Um, and uh, I was talking to them about how, you know, the PhD is considered a terminal degree. Maybe you've heard that before. What they mean by that is, there's nothing beyond that to really get. Now, I know the PhDs in the room will say, oh, well, actually there is, yeah. okay, you get your student loans, you do. Okay, but there's nothing really, you know, there's not a next step, really. There's not a next stop for you to take. You're, now, it's time for you to turn around and teach. It's a terminal degree. There's not, not a higher level. Um, and there could be a tendency for us to think of Christ the same way in our, in our Christian walk. But there is no terminal degree for us. There is always a next step for us to take with Christ. We must always, even if you're here and you would say, I, I feel more in tune with Apollos, still able to teach and yet still with blind spots, there is always a next step for us. And I hope that's deeply encouraging for you. You know, you think of both of these in a sense as kind of plateauing. If you've ever, ever, ever gone on a hike, you know what a plateau is like? You know, they're a relief is what they are. Uh, you're, you're going steadily uphill. It's challenging. You're feeling, the, feeling the, in the quads and the calves and that kind of thing. And then you get to a little level, even section, uh, easy going for a half mile or whatever, and you just go, oh, this is nice. This is nice because you're not being challenged. But there is a next step. We move beyond those plateaus. We move forward with Christ. There is always, we will never find the end of how good Jesus is. Amen? There will always be more. I've been reading, I'm back in, in the Gospels in sort of some of my personal reading, and I continue um, to just be amazed with who he is, with his wisdom, with his love. These are the things we, we must be meditating on them and seeing Christ is more than we ever could have thought. No one could make this guy up, okay? No one. And he was real. And I just continue to be astounded. I hope you are too. Today, Jesus has something new for you to learn about him. Did you know that? I wonder if, if someone came up to you, and I have a sneaky plan for this to happen, actually. If someone would come up to you and say, what, what do you think would be a good next step for you? What, do you? what do you sense Christ wants to teach you right now? How would you respond? It's important for us to have an answer to that question, to be growing. In both cases, what, what prompted that next step of growth in the Ephesian, unnamed Ephesians and with Apollos is that they had contact with their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, we also see Apollos is this sort of interesting character who's doing both, right? Which is what I think we all need to be. He's both helping others learn Christ while needing to grow himself. Um, but I, I want to notice, would you notice too how Luke really accentuates Priscilla's role uh, in Apollo's instruction. We, we know that women played a very important role in the growth of the early church, uh, a huge explosive impact. We know I could go and tell you stories and stories about how women have played an enormous role in the growth of Parkview itself, uh, foundational in how we got started and how we've been sustained through these years. Uh, your maturity, ladies, has been such a gift. It's so, so necessary for us to have your perspective. So I hope you see that and think I'm encouraged to move on and, and keep it up. Um, we're here on a morning where there are many children here as well. And guess what? You're, you don't get left out either. In fact, we need you. We need you. Your good questions to your parents about what things mean when you feel confused. You're, what you're learning about God, it encourages us when we hear you. Can't, you know, can't tell you the number of times that one of my kids come to me and ask me a question about the Bible, ask me a question about life, and I've felt challenged because I thought, I don't know if I have a good answer. You're stumping us. Did you know that? It's fun to stump your parents, isn't it? So keep, keep listening, keep learning, and, and ask your parents good questions, ask them to teach you. We need you. We need you to be part of that whole church that forms whole, whole disciples. I'm glad you're in here this morning. 
And now as a whole church, we do. We want to be not only individually motivated to help others learn Christ, but also uh, to have a whole strategy, a whole, how do we do that around here? Now, I want to encourage you two steps. No one's going to walk out here without some practical next steps, okay? That's what this is all about. Um, Two steps you could take to grow in this area, making disciples. First of all, community groups. Okay? Many of you know uh, we've invested a lot of resources to make community groups as healthy and helpful uh, as possible. We say that in community groups we make whole disciples uh, by cultivating an environment of relational safety, where we're trusting one another, able to be vulnerable, where the spiritual initiative of the group, not just the leader, but of the group as a whole, leads to the growth of each member. Um, so it's a place for you to belong to grow as you help those around you grow as well. I could speak as a community group leader. I know many of you are members of groups. And I could encourage all of you to take that step too, but one of the best things you can do for your group is just to take part in what's going on there. Show up ready to encourage those around you, um, not just to be fed, but to turn that into uh, an environment of real growth. Um, so that might be a good next step for you. Uh, the easy way, a couple of easy ways to get connected. One would be the connect card in the seat back in front of you. You can turn that in. Uh, or you can go online, check out the website. Uh, there's lots of ways to get connected. And it's very, we've tried to make it as simple as possible for you to get connected there. Um, secondly, we've launched two new podcasts in the last month. Um, one of them is the Parkview Groups podcast. I hope these are convenient ways for you guys to get connected um, and go deeper with Christ. Uh, the Parkview Groups podcast is a weekly podcast that comes out when group, groups are meeting and in session. Um, the goal is to inform, guide, and train you. Um, we go deep on the passage for the coming sermon. Uh, so the one that came out on Monday of this week referred to this very sermon today. Some of you I know, well, someone's listening to them out on the internet. We can see the statistics. Uh, probably some of you um, listen to it. Um, and uh, so I hope you engage with that, learn a bunch, and then come to your group. I've warned community group leaders, hey, they're going to come and really know their stuff. So make that true, okay? Um, secondly, the other podcast is called The Training Podcast, the Parkview Training Podcast. And that one's more on connecting you with training opportunities and uh, ministry updates, stories from Parkview. Uh, we had an interview with Mark on there to hear some more about uh, his life. We've had, uh, if you guys remember when Sam Alberry came, you guys were all clamoring to hear that recording. Now we have a place to put things like that. Um, so I, I know podcasts aren't for everyone, but that might be a simple way, you know, whether you're in the car, wherever you like to listen, that kind of thing and continue to grow, especially as you're uh, getting involved. So there's always a need to make disciples, always a need because there is a next step for everyone to grow in Christ. But there's more, there's more. Now we've seen both Apollos and these Ephesian disciples, they were led to take a next step. They didn't just happen passively, didn't just happen on their own. Uh, others around them encouraged them to take a next step. And how did that happen? So let's take a look there at verse 25 said, he, Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. You know, I worry sometimes that when we read the, these stories in the Bible, uh, we sort of think these are just sort of agrarian, simple people you know, and all these social situations are just sound so strange to us that they're just like, oh yeah, and then they went up to him and told him, mm, you're wrong about that, and that was just normal. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't. You, you can tell even just in the way that Luke tells this story. I mean, well, think of it this way. Imagine it's you, and imagine, let's just, let's imagine that it's a Sunday morning. Let's imagine that you've come to church. This is exactly what happened, right? 
come to church, just like Priscilla and Aquila did. You walked in, found your seat, you greeted a few people, talked with a few friends, and uh, you sang a few songs, right? This is exactly what would have happened then in this story. And then the, the teacher comes up and well, in this case, it was a very impassionate, really good sermon, okay, in that, in that case. And, and you're listening, you're encouraged, and you're challenged and exhorted, and it's biblical and it's good. And then you start to hear a few things that sound a little funny. You go, hmm, did you catch that? Huh, never heard that before. That's, that's a little weird. That, maybe it's just me. Preacher says another thing, you go, ah, oh, man. You glance, you know, over at your friend or your spouse, you go, is that... You know, am I the only one? Get to the end of the sermon, you kind of go, okay, I mean, I'm encouraged, but, huh. And service ends, and you look over, and you just have a quick little moment. Here, because I thought he may have said this, but no, I heard the same thing. And then you have to have this moment, okay? And you don't have to imagine it, because it's right now. (laughs) I finish, and I get off there, and we finish the service, and what are we going to do? I mean... Should we say something? Would you? Be, would not be easy, <laughs> would it? This guy's just come into town. He's setting the world on fire, at least as Luke presents it with his great sermons. And yet you see a blind spot. You see a place where he could grow, where he could take a next step with Christ. But he's the leader. Ooh, it's going to take a lot for you to get up to, right? No? This was not easy for Priscilla and Aquila. And it wasn't just Thomas, it's Apollos. Whoa, Apollos. How might you respond? I'm, how, how, how might he respond? How might Apollos respond? You go up and talk to him. How dare you? How dare you? I'm Apollos, you know? Or Priscilla, a woman, how dare you? You know, who knows how he might respond? He might be mean, he might be, you just don't know. They had to take some serious spiritual assertiveness to put themselves in it. This was risky. And by the way, if that, there's one thing we can learn right off the bat. Making disciples requires risk. It is a comfortable Christian life will not move the kingdom forward. It just won't. On the other hand, the risk that they took, I hope you see the fruit that came from it. If people are going to learn Christ, we have to take chances. We might get rejected. That would have been a very different story. But they didn't. Apollo receives uh, what they said. Uh, do you notice, too, that they're clearly sensitive to sort of the social situation. It, it says they, they took him to the side, right? They took him aside and explained to him, we don't know exactly what that phrase means. It might mean they went to a little more private place. They waited until the socially appropriate moment, uh, till his guard could sort of be down a little bit and not feel, like, defensive. They didn't just stand up and say, hey, Apollos, you know, whatever. Um, they found the right moment. They, they put him at ease. In community groups, we call that relational safety, I just told you. Um, they, they wanted to get him in a place where they knew that their words of encouragement, their words of, their questions were coming from a place of love and not to expose and shame him. What did they do? They made disciples. They made a disciple of the preacher. I need that, by the way. Uh, here's me raising my hand saying, I invite that. Uh, that should be all of our attitude. Like Apollos, see the humility of Apollos ready to learn? He, okay with someone coming up? Someone who maybe he could have, he had every reason to say, I know more than you. But he was ready to learn because he was a learner too. That's what I hope to be. I hope us as pastors, we would be head learners, chief learners, Um, not just know-it-alls or whatever. Um, So there's lots to be noticed about how they accomplished that and I've already gone too deep into that. But I want to point out something just very simple. And that is, 
they cared enough about Apollos' discipleship to actually do something. They decided, wouldn't it have been, again, think of yourself this morning, wouldn't it have been easier to say, that's awkward, let's go get in the car, <laughs> let's go home, and it, aren't there some church leaders whose job is it supposed to do that? Maybe I'll send them an email. Maybe that's, what, you know? But instead, they go up and carefully and lovingly encourage Apollos. They decided to make Apollos' blind spot their problem. They decided that them noticing was the Lord's prompting and for them to practice what I like to call spiritual initiative. There was a need for the initiative to make disciples. They didn't sit back. They didn't let it be someone else's problem, carry on down the line. They asserted themselves to help someone else grow. And that is, that is what we must learn from this passage. We must have the initiative to make disciples. And if I can just share a moment of complete honesty here. Strip everything away from who Parkview is. Our, our great facilities, our vision, our, good, our staff, you know, our, our buildings, you know, our programs. In the end, you know what matters more than anything else? That. Do we want to make disciples? Do we long for it? Is there, is there a yearning in our souls that the people around us, we can't rest until we've done what we can do to help them grow in Christ? Are we enamored enough with Jesus to think that he's worth talking about? Not just when we're supposed to, not just when we have to, but that we would see those around us as people to, to love and encourage toward Christ. You can't buy spiritual initiative. I can't buy it. I think maybe for a season we tried to. It doesn't work. You, you sitting there, you have the opportunity to turn the spiritual temperature up in this church in a way that I can never do. Never. I just can't do it. I can't do it on my own. Apollos had to leave town for it to happen. Sometimes that's what has to happen. We have to see that it's on us. If the temperature is going to go up, if disciples are going to be made, if Ephesus was going to be transformed, if Corinth, where, where he went next, where Apollos went next, and you know how all that happened? It's because Priscilla and Aquila, sitting in the seat on Sunday morning, decided that they were going to make that their problem. And praise God, we don't know the genealogy of all the churches and Christians all over the world, but there, there weren't many at that time, and there's a good chance that our spiritual family tree found its origin in their simple faithfulness on a Sunday morning. And, and Jesus had a, has a wonderful way of taking our awkward, stumbling, stumbling fumbling, Apollos, come, can we talk to you for a second? Turning that, that little moment of the spark of spiritual initiative, whether it's there or it's in your community group or it's with your coworker or whoever it is and wherever it is that the Lord has called you and put you to make disciples, he has a way of turning our simple, faithful, sometimes awkward attempts into universe, eternal, changing impact. That's what he loves to do, in fact. God has a way. He likes to do it when Paul leaves. <laughs> he likes to do it when Paul's not there, just to show, maybe he's just flexing a little bit. You think I needed Paul <laughs> for Ephesus to get transformed? I didn't need Paul. I, I can do more with Priscilla and Aquila. Okay, that's us. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us. God has given you life, time, whatever resources to invest in this very thing. And it will be hard and it will be worth it. And so uh, one way that we want to encourage us all as a whole church to do this, to take a next step, 
to become a whole church, making whole disciples, is uh, we want Sunday mornings. You know, we're, we're following Priscilla and Aquila's lead uh, to make Sunday morning not just about coming and being fed, but about helping others learn Christ, even the preacher. Uh, and so one thing that we're going to do starting this week, each week, uh, we're going to have some reflection questions that will show up on the screen. Uh, these are going to you if you're in a community group um, through the app or through the website that we're connected to, um, the groups, groups or the podcast, what's it called? The Church Connect app. Um, and so there'll be uh, just three, three each week. And of course, there's more for your group leader, that kind of thing. Uh, but something for you to reflect on, but even more so uh, for you to ask kids, to ask your parents one of these questions, okay? Tell me if you did. I'll give you a high five, okay? Maybe two high fives, huh? Maybe I've got candy. I don't really know. Something good will happen. Kids, ask your parents, okay, one of these questions. Uh, ask someone in your group. Better yet, do what Priscilla and Aquila did. Approach someone and say, hey, great to meet you. Hey, what did you think? What did you think of that first question up there? It really made me think. What I thought was this. What did you think? What did you learn today? Uh, what do you sense is the next step that the Lord wants you to take from this sermon? Um, that we're coming, like Priscilla, like Aquila did all those years ago, ready to make disciples, that Sunday would be a disciple-making flagship for us. It's where things get started. It's where things really uh, launch. Um, maybe you're here and you'd say, I'm not a Christian, uh, so where do I play in that? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask one of those questions to the person who brought you or who invited you or, or someone you don't quite know yet and see what their response is. We would love to be grilled. Okay, we would love to, to hear what you have to ask us. And so, here's my encouragement. Take a risk. Do like Priscilla and Aquila did those years ago. Take a risk. Find a place uh, to do that this week. Because Ephesus was born because of the initiative of those disciples. And we need to practice and grow in that initiative uh, today. Because it takes a whole church to make whole disciples. Now, lastly, we have to meditate on what happened there with these disciples in Ephesus. Uh, because this passage doesn't just tell us what happened, disciples were made, or how it happened through Priscilla and Aquila and Paul and their initiative, spiritual initiative, but also tells us why. It gives us a window into why all of that could happen. First, you notice that when Paul returns into Ephesus here in chapter 19, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples, bumped into them, I guess, which was not at all common uh, in that place and time. And so that's, that's pretty odd. Um, and these disciples, he notes, you know, he says, did you receive the Spirit when you believe? They say, no, we don't even know uh, that there's a Spirit. And so it's, it seems possible that they, they seem to share some of the same confusion that Apollos had. It's possible that they went and heard some of what Apollos said before they ran into Paul. Spiritual maturity has a tendency to multiply, either negatively or positively. After Apollos has had his little lesson with Priscilla, um, the church sends him off to Achaia, off to Corinth. Um, sorry, I should be more clear. Achaia is the region that contains Corinth, right? That's where Paul just came from. Paul left Corinth to go to Ephesus, then left Ephesus and came back. And what essentially happened was that Paul and Apollos switched spots. Paul then comes to Ephesus and begins building off of what Apollos began. And Apollos moves on to Corinth and begins building off of what Paul began there. And that's how we get this incredible passage in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul is, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. He says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. That is, before Priscilla and Aquila's spiritual initiative to help Apollos grow, Apollos was just, it seems as if he was just multiplying. 
But after, he laid the foundation for Ephesus and Corinth to grow strong in Christ. And in fact, we know Corinth becomes this incredible, vibrant church um, because of their spiritual initiative. Think of the lives transformed. The city of Corinth, which was known as just a den of catastrophe and sin, uh, begins to have this brightness and light. Why? Again, because Priscilla and Aquila on a Sunday morning decided to make disciples. And more and more people were learning and enjoying who Jesus is. And then we see these disciples in Ephesus who, who discover the Spirit and they're filled with joy. And, and these 12 men, and as I mentioned, uh, the Bible counts these things differently. And so it's almost certainly we think of Jesus. He feeds the 5,000, uh, but that was just the leading men. And it was probably closer to 20 by the time all were counted. These do, you know, t- 12 men probably represented uh, scores and scores of people who come to Christ. Um, because of that, there's joy. There's joy. Third John 4 puts it simply. He says, Uh, John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Speaking not just about physical children, but about spiritual children, those that he has impacted. Many of you in this room know, because you have experienced firsthand, the impact of just one person's life changed for Christ. Whether that is someone who comes to know Christ for the first time, or someone whose life is changed in their Christian life because of someone else encouraging them. Many of you have had the experience of this blessed experience that John is referring to, someone coming to them and saying, hey, all those years ago, you said so-and-so to me on a Sunday morning or at youth group or whatever it happened to be, um, and you were 13 then, (laughs) but you said this to me, and I'll never be the same. I was never the same after that. And you go, I said what? (laughs) And you barely remember it, but it meant the world to them. And in that moment, that spark of intentionality, that spark of initiative, transformed not just that life, but you know how these things go. Families and generations. This is what the Lord wants to do with our little lives today. To lead us into indescribable joy as we see our lives, the lives of those around us, transformed. Because the same thing that happened in Ephesus all those years ago, when the, when the vacuum, so to speak, of, of spiritual impact was made, when Paul left, was that the people of God did what the people of God do. And they turned around and helped others take the next step to grow. And it led to what only God can produce. That's what we need. This, this passage today is the prescription that we must take, refill, refill, refill for the rest of our lives. It's exactly what we need. Now, how will we get there? How will we become that kind of church, the whole church? Each one of us, young and old, Okay, whoever it is, educated and uneducated, Apollos-like and unnamed Ephesian-like, each of us taking a next step. How will that actually happen? Well, what I mentioned before is, is still true. Boiling everything down, we must each grow in our desire, in our passion. Uh, we must bring our souls to the Lord in their emptiness, in their confusion, in their doubt, and say, Lord, will you make, make something of this life? Make something of me? Make something of you through me? Make me who you want me to be so that I can do that. And there's no better time, I think, than communion for us to do that kind of move with our souls.